in some putty eye, even if we day old. Y'all put your hands up. Nah, put your hands down. Put them in the ground. Mix it with the brown. It's that new sound. Even if it's age old. Fresher than some putty eye, even if we day old. on the Microbial Secret Society, and today I'm here with Evan of Whole Plant Wellness. Hello, how's it going? Yeah, so um, so I met Evan um, in person at, I think the was the um, the Watsonville KNF conference that I did. I think that was the first time we met in person. Yeah, yeah, it was. So, um, so you've been into KNF for a while. So, um, why don't why don't you just uh, start by giving your giving yourself a quick introduction here? Um, well, I got introduced to KNF in like 2016 when I went to a Living Soil Symposium in Portland, Oregon. And um, prior to that, you know, I was aware of organic farming and I was definitely practicing it, but not to the depth that KNF brought me in. So it was really an eye-opening experience uh, going to that symposium. And I, I mean, as far as background for me, um, I went to college for horticulture and that was in New Jersey. Um, they taught ideologies of organics, but they were wrapped in conventional agriculture. So I had a little bit of exposure to both at a young age, um, but I had no experience really prior to that. My family isn't a farming family. I got into it on my own interests when I was about 18. And ever since then, it's been upward mobility, trying to get more regenerative and more microbe friendly. So, so in your formal education, like horticulture education, there was no men. I mean, what what was the depth of the mention of microorganisms? They were definitely aware that microorganisms played a role, but I don't think they uh, stressed the importance of it as much as I've come to learn. You know, they uh, they didn't really encourage the thriving populations and like uh, constant building of micro populations. They were just aware that it was, it was doing a lot of the work. So, so they, they are, because from what I understand, basically like, you know, for a plant to get a nutrient, it kind of has to go through the microbiome to a degree. Is yeah. That- it kind of naturally chelates it or chelates it, however you pronounce that word. And- um, kind of breaks down that nutrient into a form that the plant can accept it. And, and so, yeah, so it does have to go through a microbe then, like digested by the microbe. Yeah, I guess I guess that's probably what's going on. I never really dived into the biology. I kind of stayed more in the practical application of things, horticulture side. In school or now? In school and now. Okay. Okay. So, so how, how do you look at the biology in there then? Well, um, I've been trained, I mean, physically looking at it or like, well, like, no, no more. Yeah. Like more conceptually. Oh, I mean, I, I uh, think it's number one, you know what I mean? I mean, it's, it's what's ruling the whole domain. It's in control. They do everything. (laughs) So, so would you would you agree with the the um, idea that by measuring your biology you can kind of measure the fertility of the soil? Uh, yes and no. I feel like um, 
it definitely is a correlation, but I can't speak to how strong that correlation is. I'm sure there's other limiting factors. Like just because you have a high amount of biology doesn't mean you're going to have the bee's knees garden. I feel like there's other things at play in nature and um, it's all a system and everything is relying on, on its, on one another. So if one thing's out of balance, then the biology can't perform like it should. Yeah. Yeah. So, so more like um, mineral imbalances like can, can cause that could be one example. I don't have any um, firsthand experiences that I could speak of. I just kind of feel it in my gut that that's what's going on. Well, that's where most of your microbes are. So that's good. <laughs> <laughs> See, the microbes are in control. Um, well, how about, how about this idea? This is, this is something I think I, I came up with. I'm not sure, but I had an idea that every mineral was actually like a fossilized microbe. Okay. I'm with it. I'm, I'm following you. So, so when we have like these mineral deficiencies and people spread the minerals out there, they're actually spreading like these microbial fossils in a certain sense. Okay. But, but then my idea goes f- further with this, that when you go spread those minerals out there, somehow with other life, they're able to like reanimate it. Uh, the, the fossilized remains of the microbes are. Yeah. 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 Like, like almost, almost like, you know, raising these fossils into like some zombie plague <laughs> type thing. Okay. And then that's that's why you get a you get a benefit from like re remineralization because you you're able to introduce like these ancient set of microbes that somehow might have been deficient in your soil. Yeah, I mean that's one way to look at it. <laughs> I don't know if I necessarily agree one hundred percent. It's a cool idea. It's very creative, and it's totally possible. What, yeah. But I kind of I I guess I'm more of like a, a realist. Not not to say that you're not, but I just feel like the whole minerals thing is just giving the nutrition that plants need. I don't know about zombies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, um, well. What else? What else were your like major takeaways from horticultural school that you feel is really benefiting you today? Um, experience is the best teacher. Um, you can you know dig around in books all day and uh, still not get the lessons that you learn in the field by putting things into practice into motion. It's great to get the foundation and the knowledge and it's really good to understand the science behind everything, but you got to do it. You got to go out there and grow a plant to really understand what's going on. Did, did you, I, cause I, I didn't, I didn't go to ag school. I just, I've, I've audited a few classes here um, at the university of Hawaii, but I didn't, but I didn't get the opportunity to go like really, formally study like you know all the all the science and all the things they know in horticultural school right um so yeah just just trying to to ask because i i i I imagine that made like i mean your your foundation of knowing if if someone asks you just the question it's you're like well but all these factors right yeah yeah right um I try not to pin myself down as much as I can. <laughs> I try to leave an open playing field. Because that's what nature's like. You know, it's not one way or the other. It's like this whole web of possibilities. Yeah, yeah. And, and I mean, I think, I think those studies tend to be kind of re- reductionist, too. Which studies? 
like like if you, if I go study um ho- like horticulture in college, it, it because they like they're like okay, we're gonna study the nitrogen cycle, or you know, I mean, probably more complex than that. But but they're like yeah. re- reducing it down to saying like, oh, we're just gonna study this component here today. Right. Yeah, there was a lot of that. I mean, at the time I was going to school, I wasn't really sure what I was going to be doing with that knowledge either. Um, I was just going because I wanted to go to school and that was what I was interested in. And that was what was available to me. Um, So I wasn't really sure what I was going to, you know, be relying on farming to survive when I was going to school. So I don't think I paid as much attention as I would have today. (laughs) I was there and I was learning but I was also young and I just wanted to have a good time. Yeah. I, I found, I mean, I, I also went to college and I think that's the, um, that's the archetype. You're supposed to, you know, play beer pong every, every, you know, before class and after class. Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> we got to warm up somehow. Uh, so, so um, when you're saying you, like you named your mission, what you're doing right now, whole, whole plant wellness. How does, how does, yeah. yeah, How does, how does that factor in? How'd you get on that name? Well, when I started whole plant wellness, it was less about the um, talking to the biome and more about utilizing everything that the cannabis plant uses because that's what my main focus is, cannabis farming. Um, and to be 100% straight up, and uh, is the, the logo was developed just so I could work in the climate here. Um, so I, I needed to develop a brand so I could join the marketplace. So I came up with Whole Plant Wellness, partly because it sounded good. <laughs> and... The other part, because I believed that the whole plant had something to provide. And um, so that's how Whole Plant Wellness came to be. So um, my my friend, Adam Verick, who's in uh, Lagunitas, uh, which is somewhat, I mean, somewhat nearby, closer than I am to you. Um, but he also has, a, 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 his farm name is Whole Buffalo Farms. Okay. And I, I, is this, is it, you know, correct that this on kind of on the same vein of like, you know, the native Americans would use the whole Buffalo and you're talking about using like the whole part of the medicinal cannabis plant. Yeah. Like, you know, the bud, the leaves, the stems, the roots, literally everything, everything has a, has a purpose. Everything, but the squeal. The squeal. Yeah, that's a. uh, (laughs) I know my plants aren't squealing, but it comes from a. uh, The, uh, I guess the slaughtering industry with pigs. Oh, 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 yeah, (laughs) yeah, yeah. yeah. Squeal. (laughs) Hard to to market the squeal. I think. (laughs) You can't bottle it up. I'm sure if they could, they would. <laughs> Hormel squeal. Um, <laughs> well, um, well, you know, actually, one of the things I'm probably least familiar familiar with is how do you use the roots? So the roots, how I use them today is I uh, ferment them and I add them to my OHN. So that's one way I can use it. But another way that I was using it in the past was making a tea out of the roots and then consuming the tea. There's supposed to be a lot of alkaloids and things that you can get from the roots that you can't get from any other parts of the plant. Yeah, I mean, I, I've, I've heard that about, about the roots. And, you know, I, I think majority of people just um, throw them out with the, the soil or, or whatever they're getting rid of. Well, that's a use for them also. They're great composting material. You know, it's not all about human consumption. It's it's all part of a system and, you know, feeding that root system back to a compost pile or just back to the raised bed where it was grown in, not ever removing it, is doing something with it. 
Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I mean, I mean, definitely, yeah. Composting back. I, um, I, I tend to think with you know, like, like if if it's too much bulk material and you just can't deal with it, I think, I think that's a decent way to to um, you know, realize more of your money, cost, resources, everything to like build your farm and you know, synergistically build it that way. Yeah. It's- Anytime you can reintroduce material that you've grown on site is a is a plus. Have you ever turned the roots into um, like a, a fermented plant juice? I haven't done a fermented plant juice. Um, I should try though. I just up up until recently, I've really been trying to follow KNF um, by the book. Of course, with some experimentation just because I can't help myself. But I haven't dived too deep into experimenting. Um, so FPJ with roots is something I would have to try. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've made it, I made it with sweet potatoes, you know, like, um, you know, those are, those are roots, tubers, and those types of things. Right. So, so I mean, yeah, I've done it with the uh, daikon radish. Oh, I bet I just just knowing that I've done I've done daikon ferments before. Did it smell terrible? Yeah, it wasn't very good. Um, I just did it because I had all these radishes on hand that I grew, and I didn't want to eat them because they were all sluggy and like gross. But um, I, I was talking with uh, another member of the KNF community, Jason Riesland, and. He was telling me that, you know, any FPJ made from roots is technically an FFJ for all intents and purposes. Huh. Just try to use the, uh, the nomenclature here for all our listeners. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's, that, that's an interesting topic, um, to bring up for a number of reasons. I, um, I was actually going to, I have a, another podcast scheduled with Joe McGinn to kind of talk about, dogma and education and natural farming and how you know like this came into being um do you know do you know where in the original literature there's a a a mention of of a input called ffj um well i took a, a level one course with jason and he had made a manual um which it listed in there but I'm pretty sure there's a Master Cho publication that mentions it. There's a, a book that he sells. Okay, okay. I don't have it. Right. I don't have it in my possession, but I've seen it. Okay. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I have some old literature. I always, I always love digging through there and seeing, seeing what's up. I, um, so, um, yeah, yeah. One of, one of the interesting things is that, you know, when these concepts come from Korean into English, some, sometimes they take on these, um, these, um, what do you call it? Like, like, like they get these names, but, but they're, it's interesting to see how it, how it came from the original Korean and what Master Cho actually says. Right. No, I've, I've witnessed it firsthand because I saw Master Cho last year. He came to America and he doesn't speak English. And his daughter or granddaughter was translating for everybody. She was doing a great job, but she was laughing half the time because he would say something and she would have to like interpret it and put it in an American way that people would understand. And um, Jason had talked about the same thing with earlier manuals because he's been practicing it for a few years and, he said that the translations have gotten much better over the years. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I mean, it depends on who's who's translating it, right? So, some some of the literature I have were translated by like a a PhD in language, and then. So and you then, think that they did a good job, or they did they do a bad job? Well, well, that that like if if you're just if you just know the language versus knowing the context, you're going to come up with a pretty literal translation. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes they're kind of funny when you read them out loud. 
Well, especially if you're a native speaker of the other language. <laughs> right. The one that it's being translated into. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, so I, I believe, I believe, you know, with the, um, with the translation, it's also like you, you said, you know, your, your most important thing was, was not like necessarily your studies. It was actually like your experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so. I think that's what I, I took the most out of. What, we did and, a lot of hands-on things in that, that uh, program. It wasn't all lectures. But at the same time, I was also working in the industry. I worked in garden centers and nurseries, so I would uh, I would be able to physically apply the knowledge I was learning in class that day. After class, I would go to work. <laughs> it, would, it would it would instantly reinforce it. Well, yeah, and then and then with a I would imagine with a garden center and nursery, your exposure to so many different plants to kind of see these. Um, these generalities between them too. And questions from customers that came in. You're always throwing new spin on your way of thinking by asking questions and getting you to think about answering. You know, you have to give them an answer. So you're not just thinking about only what you're interested in anymore. You know, you're, you're really thinking about everything and all different types of situations and environments. So yeah, it's good. I think the practical application is, is numero uno. Well, um, if I if I can get back to the the roots a little bit, because um, I because I'm still I'm still curious about how you're when you're you're fermenting the roots and then going through like a similar to OHN tincturing process. Yeah, so I just you know I treated it like it was angelica root basically. I had the roots, I had them dried, mm. and I um I didn't really chop them up too much. I just did it enough to where it was like not a huge root ball. You know, I just kind of finger teased them apart. And then I added beer to rehydrate them. Um, which I'm, now that I'm saying it out loud, I'm wondering if I could have just kept them fresh and avoided the beer altogether. Which might have been better for the microbiology going on in the roots. But I digress. Um, <laughs> I, put the beer, I put the beer in and followed the procedure that I was taught how to make OHN and then um, fermented it with sugar, added the vodka because I don't have soju here. Mm. I got vodka. Yeah. Yeah. Any, well, clear. I've been, I've been told, you know, you mentioned the customers come in at the garden center and ask you interesting things. Same, same with me. People ask me interesting KNF questions. And I was told the other day, like, you know, in your tincturing, it's better to, Someone was asking, could you use rum? But someone was like, it's better if you use a clear alcohol because it can absorb more out. In, in, but but I, think, I think today they cheat when they make rum. So instead of it actually having the barrel flavor, like it actually, you know, like tinctured your barrel, they say today they just, they just like, you know, put in food coloring and, and um, fla- flavoring, you know. Wood barrel flavor. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> <laughs> Wood barrel number 52. The guy who synthesized that gets the sample. Oh, I think this one tastes the best. <laughs> it tastes like charred oak. It's perfect. <laughs> yeah. So, so using, so, you know, when you're saying using soju for, from my understanding, the it's as long as it's a clear alcohol above 35%, you should be getting, you know. Yeah. They taught the same thing when I was learning about it. Um, I just use vodka because that's what's cheap and available. Yeah. Well, I've, I've, I've done it with, uh, all kinds of stuff. I did it with a tequila one time and it's, I don't, yeah, it's kind of what wild. Means your OHN taste. Yeah. 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 For the worst. Yeah. Well, I, you know, it depends, you know, a little lime, a little salt, you know, <laughs> you know what I wonder now, um, I'm just going to go off on a quick little tangent. I'm wondering if you use gin, if that would be a good choice because master Cho say that adding juniper berries fermented into your garden will bring chi. Huh? You know, you know, well, I don't, I don't know. I, well, the, the question, the question is, is the tincture already saturated by the gin? Mm. Good question. Yeah, I would, I would guess that's, 
that's probably a risk. To, yeah, to some level. But then, but I, I don't know. I mean, it's still alcoholic. It's, I, I don't know. that this, this is the science. Like, you know, I wish they had a, like a university on tincturing. <laughs> I'm sure there's a way to diagnose it all. Get it analyzed. Analyzed. Well, well, people people ask me all the all the time questions on that. You know, they they wanna they wanna know the nitty gritty science. Like, like for, for instance, do you know do you know the amount of calcium in in the WCA? Right, I've had the same people. I've had people ask me the same question, and no, I don't, because I have not tested them. Um, I've spoken to several people about doing so. It's just been cost prohibitive. And I, I see results. It's like, why do I need to know exactly how much calcium is in there? Um, because I, I know it's working. I have healthy plants. Yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, that's the that's the ultimate ultimate, right? Like, you know, I could talk that's all just day. My about approach, that. though, you know, I know there's people out there that need to know the numbers, or they they want to know, and it's good. I and mean, I think that's great information. I'm just happy enough. Um, seeing it work and that's good enough for me I mean yeah at the end of the day I mean that's 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 really what matters I I think it starts to matter more when you're getting into like consistency of manufacturing the solutions right yeah when you want to guarantee that something's going to be what you think it is to somebody else so they can add it to systems that they've already built I totally get the the place for those those numbers, and I hope somebody out there is willing to foot the bill and take the time to do that because there's lots of people out there that want that information. Yeah, I mean that's that's a that's an interesting. Um, I mean, it would it would be almost like foundational natural farming. Maybe we should do a little uh, Kickstarter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, well, I think I think the only way to do it too is to have multiple people send send in their batches. Uh huh. And, and you the, test one to the other and see if there's consistency. Yeah, and then have the same people send in a second batch, like later, to see you know like what's the difference between manufacturers. And then what's the difference between like my own manufacturing? Yeah. Cause I, I imagine just, you know, like just the, you know, in the, the moon's day after the full moon, when you're gathering plant material early in the morning to make FPJ, that it's going to be different than if it was like a, um, you know, half moon or, or I gathered it midday or, you know, like. Yeah. I'd be very curious to see those readings. But but I think I think to to quantify that would um, would alleviate somewhat of the dogma we have in our, in our community. Yeah, it would definitely help um, more people accept it. You know, I feel like a large part of the KNF uh, acceptance is you got to just put it into faith. You know, you just got to be like, okay, I'll just trust it because it seems right. Because well, that data isn't there, you know, the numbers aren't there to back it up. Well, enti- entirely true, and I think I think it has to do primarily with um, the Eastern to Western mindset. Yeah, definitely. Cultural difference is big from K and F to just natural farming in general. Yeah, I, I mean, in the in the east, in the east, it's kind of like ninjas, right? Like you're, like who who do you who do you study with? Yeah, it's very um, master educator uh, student um, relationship, and for I mean, to my knowledge, I mean, this this is how it is. It's very like you don't question the teacher; you just kind of accept what they tell you as truth. Where in America. As we all know, we we really give them a hard time. <laughs> we really like to question everybody else, and we think we know what's best. It's like, 
the opposite. Well, well, if I, I mean, it, as you mentioned that, I kind of had this idea that when you're learning in the Eastern, you're learning from the master. So like, if you're teaching me, I don't question you while you're teaching me. Right. Then once you're like, yo, you're cool. And like, I've, and either you pass away or like, I've, I, you know, you, you promote me or whatever. Then I've reached like that level. Now I can start experimenting. Right. Yeah. Um, and I, I saw that firsthand at that Mastered Show class. There was a kid in the crowd who, like, instantly derode what Mastered Show said when he said something about using – it was something with using plastic or something like that. Or And uh, the guy was just like, I'm calling bullshit. No. <laughs> like, right there. And the Mastered Show walked over and smacked him on the back. it's like no i'm the teacher yeah yeah well well like yeah i I think i think it's like a thing of humility like you you get you get from the master you get up to that level then you experiment but but the american is like like you just immediately question and like you know like like you try to integrate too soon maybe yeah definitely we try to make it our own before we have the foundational accepted uh, knowledge. And I'm guilty of it too, which is what I was, I mentioned before where I was trying, I've been trying to follow by the book, by the teachings as much as possible, but I have been experimenting, you know, ever since I first heard about KNF and just do random things. I think the first thing I tried was like kelp, Mm. kelp FPJ. And it was crazy. Turned like vibrant pink almost like highlighter juice. It was really fascinating. What, um, d- did you, did you dehydrate it first? What, like with the kelp? No, it was fresh, wet kelp from the ocean. And then you just threw in sugar? sugar in a <laughs> jar. And I left it on a shelf for a very long time, like three or four months. Mm-mm-mm. And uh, it wasn't breathing. It had like a sealed jar on it. <laughs> and it just went like really nasty really anaerobic did uh did, yeah like i mean yeah it sound it, that i mean i can smell that from here almost man. <laughs> yeah it was rank. <laughs> but yeah so so i mean i i found i found that when i was first starting out with knf2 i would do just you know actually i i learned a lot by just neglecting stuff <laughs> because you had neglecting the plants or what would neglecting oh like the ferments yeah like setting a solution there and then just seeing what happens over time you know i think i've done a lot of that too i'm still doing it (laughs) i have if if i showed you around my farm today i could show you just random buckets that have been sitting there filled with remnants of old ferments like you know like the the stuff that i strained off I threw it in a jar with water and just forgot about it for two years. And you open them up today and there's like crazy designs that the microbes have come up with, like webbing and um, smells. That's another thing. But yeah, all kinds of stuff. Always always mixing and mashing things. Yeah, yeah, it's like the the fate of a natural farmer. All these jars, and then if you're if you're like me, only like half of them are labeled. And I always yeah. I always try to make it like my primary rule, like label that shit. I I try to as much as I can, but I um, I'm the same way as you, I guess. Half the time, I I just remember. Yeah, yeah. Or and a or, lot of the time, I reuse all my jars, and I don't wipe off the old. Um, your original label the old content so it's like it says FPJ but it's OHN only I can know that you know if anyone else came in to like feed my plants or something they'd they'd be giving them all the wrong stuff yeah and it it, it comes down to where you gotta like you gotta be bold to open it smell it and then taste it if you really want to know yeah (laughs) yeah for sure I don't really I'm not too afraid to do that to be honest I mean I've never had, I've never gotten sick from tasting any of my ferments. So. 
Well, I'm doing good so far, I guess. Yeah, the the one the one I'd exercise caution with is uh, the IMO four or like you know manure IMO or anything where it's yeah um, I haven't eaten any of that yeah yeah that I think yeah. is a realm that I'm not willing to taste <laughs> I'm I'm doing the liquid stuff I'm not eating like the fermented soil have you have you turned a bunch of people on to like tasting that where they may they might have not if it weren't for you yeah definitely um i've had several people come over and i you know like oh come see my ferments and then i'll just pull these jars off the shelf i'm like here taste this and they give me this weird look like what are you being tasted and i'll taste it in front of them first so they know i'm not trying to poison them <laughs> <laughs> and uh i've had a few people outright just decline because they're so squeamish and I get it. My girlfriend's one of them, actually. She's really not too willing to try all my ferments. She'll do it if we like force it down, but she'd, she'd rather not. She just got to taste them off your lips, man. Yeah, <laughs> I'm gonna get, I'm gonna make like a fermented F, uh, FPJ chapstick. <laughs> I bet you, yeah, the probiotics on your lips and the. That I'm going on some tangents here, though. Cheese. Yeah, yeah. Well, well. Do you want to do you want to get back to the roots? I I got I got one more burning question yeah, on that sure. one. Yeah, ask me. Are, are you a one third or a two thirds guy? Um, <laughs> well, <laughs> uh, I do whatever, uh, feels right at the time. I don't follow the same recipe. Um, it's like, if I only have X amount of materials, then I'm only going to do what those materials allow me to do. Um, I've done one third. I've done two thirds. I've done one to one 50, 50, um, are we talking OHN specifically or just all yeah. of them? Well, like, uh, well, uh, OHN specifically, cause that's, that, that seems to be the hot, hot button item in the, in the community. So I always, you know. Yeah. I, uh, I try to do like two thirds because I use, well, actually I started doing two thirds, I should say, because I thought using less vodka would be better, but I think after taking the Watsonville class, I learned from you and Susie that um, one third would be better because you get more material in the end. You get more OHN in the end, you know, because you're adding more vodka. So you have more of a substrate. So you have more volume once your finished collection is, is done. So I started doing that now. And I haven't seen a difference. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Well, and so, and I just, I just learned an interesting terminology the other day that um, the herbs left in the jar would be considered the mark. And then the liquid you're pouring off is actually con considered the menstruum. Is, isn't that I've interesting? Term isn't that interesting terminology? Yeah, I've never heard this menstruum word before. Yeah, like 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 menstruating, like like you know, women menstruate to get rid of you know the the unused. Um, oh yeah, okay. urine lining. Sure. And so that same word is used like when you're pouring stuff off. Instead of like saying pour off, the actual like technical term is to like remove the menstruum. Isn't, isn't interesting. interesting. Yeah. Very interesting. Yeah. Look at that! I'm still learning SAT words. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, I learned that I learned that from um, Dr. Emily Kane. Um, but um, so so you're saying you're now you're adding in about you know two thirds new vodka to to get that out and um, and and it was like a just um, you know and you're saying following it by the book type of idea. It, like I was Master Cho talked about that recipe in um, Pahoa in like 2018, I think. And it turned into like an hour discussion of like whether one third or two thirds of the menstruum should come off each time. 
Yeah, I think I heard this story and didn't like a bunch of the guys who were on panel like go into a, like a little football huddle. Yeah. And yeah. like come back to the microphone and be like, both are correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was it was it was really it was it was really relieving at that at that moment to like Yeah, I think um actually that story was I think important in my KNF education journey because I realized it wasn't necessarily about following a recipe super hard to the numbers. It's, it's like more of like a what's relative and there's wiggle room in the measurements that you're using. Well, I, I just was... like in nature. Yeah. 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 Which is all we're trying to mimic, right? trying to mimic nature with this system. So I, I would say, I would say maybe one, one difference I've discovered is like in, in a lot of other things, it's like the, the book is right. And you're like secondary to the book. But, but what I find in, in, in Korean natural farming is, is actually the, the juxtaposition of that, that the book is like a, is a guide to get you close to things to like, it's, it's like training wheels. Yeah. But it sets even- you on that path, but the whole goal is to empower the farmer, right? So the farmer is eventually going to get to a point where they know better than the book applies to their situation. Hopefully. Hopefully. But, but that's, but that's the part that, um, that's not taught. Yeah, it's hard to teach that. Um, it's I think that's kind of one of those lessons that just comes innately. Well, that that's that's why I felt I felt like when I was um, when we did farm tours, like when I went to Korea, or um, when Master Cho was here in Hawaii, the one of the mo- one of the more valuable things was just to like stand by him and see what he saw saw in what like like if i just walk up to a to a farm what what do you know what what hits my eyes what what are my first like oh this and that and those things and to see how he walks up and he sees in a completely different like realm i wish i got the chance to go on a farm tour with him um I don't know. I can't, I haven't experienced this with the man. But yeah, just like, well, what, what I noticed, I mean, what I, you know, I, I kind of, I kind of mimic him in, in the ways I do it. But, but now instead of like, you know, like if, if you're like, Hey, this plant right here in front of me has these problems. He doesn't necessarily look at that plant right there. He starts to look at what are, what are the plants right around that plant doing? Mm-hmm. So even though you're asking about this plant, he's like, he's looking at more of like, like what you're saying, the whole plant, like, like the, how it's, it's, it's roots are actually intermingling with these other plants, you know, and, and how the ecosystem is, is connected. Yeah. They're definitely all functioning together on some level. Yeah. So, so to look, I, I mean, I think, I think that's the, that's the difference too, is, is natural farming. It's not, it's no longer just about your plant. Yeah. It's, uh, it's about the whole system, the whole environment that's going on around you. So, um, so can we, can we go into your, your grow a little bit? How, how are you, integrating that 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 concept into into what you're doing well um i live on a quarter acre in sonoma county and it's like a mix of rural residential so it's it's like this nice level flat piece of land that is really rich in clay and it's fertile so i've got a head start right there um but for the last five years i've lived here and i've slowly been adding 
just biomass to the land and a lot of composting and mulching, cover cropping and building soil so I can grow as many different things as possible. I grow vegetables, flowers, cannabis. We have chickens. We've had sheep. I try to close the loop as, as so to say, you know, the loop as much as possible. Um, just try to outsource as little as possible. Try to avoid buying fertilizers, pesticides, all that stuff. So making ferments out of uh, things I grow on site is priority. I do that as much as possible. So, so does it like in in your cannabis grow? Is it in the soil or is it in bags? Oh no, it's in the soil. Well, I have a little bit of both because of my setting. Um, there are I don't own the property that I live on, so there are some portions of the property where I can't go in the ground, so I'm forced to go up into like a raised bed. Um, or in some situations, a smart pot or even a plastic pot because it's convenient. But um, half of it's in the ground, just um, just straight into the earth, which I think is the best way to go. Is there any um, significant difference between those two? The stuff uh, in the ground requires a lot less water. And they're usually much more vigorous and larger growing. And the same goes for vegetables. They're just, you know, the roots aren't limited to a space that you can find them to in a pot, for example. I mean, and would you, would you consider that you're doing the same type of like soil amendment? You know, because I know if you're filling up like a big smart pot, you're going to like make your own blend. But mm-hmm. if you're but if you're going into the soil, are you, you're not digging down to that same depth and making like like an in the ground pot, right? I have um, in the past, but I've learned that it's not absolutely necessary. So, yes and no. I, I have done it. Um, in years past because the ground was so compacted and so clay rich, like I had mentioned before that it just, it wouldn't drain. It would just hold water. So I would dig a hole out and replace it with a uh, more porous soil or um, just sometimes just wood chips just to decompose and naturally break down. But also I built up by just building layers rather than digging up underneath and adding to it. Mm-hmm. Just go right on top. Just, just, just pile it up. up there. Yeah. Just pile it up, make mounds in some cases. And then, you know, as you're layering, you know, grow things and then cover those cover crops with another layer of soil or compost and just keep building. And you really get a really rich loamy soil in a very short amount of time. If you do that, I mean, a short amount of time in, in the grand scheme of things, you know, we're talking six to nine months. Yeah. I mean, and then, I mean, then you're able to realize that benefit for years after you've, after you've put that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, like I said, I moved onto this property five years ago and the ground was a whole lot less fertile back then. And, you know, plants would show deficiencies you know, you get weird wet yellow leaves and curling and past two years. I mean, I haven't seen very much of that at all. This is very vibrant, green, healthy growth, very sturdy plants, resilient. And I think that's all because of the, the soil. And so you don't, you don't use any pesticides or anything. You've, you've never like, you've never really taken a step back. Or, or I've it... never used anything that's harmful to humans. Okay. okay. You know, um, so I've never 
used anything like Eagle 20 or that's a, <laughs> I've heard a about that. Brand. It's a name brand pesticide. I think it's, uh, um, what's the chemical in there? I can't remember the chemical right now, but it's not very good for you. I've never used anything like that, but I have used things like pyrethrins in some situations just because of uh, the, the marketplace demands a certain product. And um, sometimes the marketplace demands it in a, a, a time frame that natural farming won't allow for. So I flex a little bit in some places where other natural farmers do like a hard no. And I totally respect that. But for my situation, um, sometimes I have to use a, a, a bottle spray on pesticide like a um, pyrethrin base, which is natural in, in the grand scheme of things, but it could be done better, I, I admit. There are better ways to do it. But but that I mean what what you're saying to me it doesn't sound like it's it's that damaging to necessarily the the soil microbiome. It's no, maybe, yeah. No, I don't think so. Yeah, so so I mean that, that that's what I mean of like you know so you you've basically been building soil for your whole five years, right? I mean you're just yeah, I've just been adding positive biology. And last year, I really noticed the biggest difference because the soil literally was moving with, <laughs> with microorganisms and little arthropods and millipedes and little insects. Like you would, you would focus at the soil surface and you could see it like moving. There was just always life crawling around on top. Not the, not the physical dirt was moving, but they're moving everything aside and you know, it's, it, it just, in, yeah, it was, it was incredible. It was like a little jungle. Yeah. yeah. You know, and, and, and all those, all those bugs on their smallest level, like it, it, when they're there, they're all, um, you know, dropping, uh, you know, poops and, and whatever, like, dr- yeah, that, each was other the other thing. that was the other thing I noticed. I didn't top dress at all this past season with any sort of, worm, uh, worm casting mm-hmm. sort of any sort of compost or anything like that. Um, but you go out there at the end of the season and there was like a three inch thick layer of fresh worm castings and other soil particles that looked like we had dumped them there. You know, they were just fluffy as could be. You could put your fingers straight into the soil for eight to 10 inches. No problem. And we haven't tilled haven't done any kind of aeration techniques, nothing like that. Wow. It's just from like what you said, the bugs turning over at stuff and, and making that, that layer. So, so in so, in something like cannabis, you know, it's, it's up, it's off the ground type of thing, but some of the other vegetables you're growing, um, they're, they're, you know, closer to the ground. I, I don't know if you're doing any like lettuce, for instance, but do you do you yeah, see any? Do do you see any like how 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 does that affect the lettuce? I mean, how how how's that? How's those growth too? Um, the lettuce gets more damage because the insects like to eat it, and because I don't use pesticides, there is some sharing, <laughs> <laughs> which is which I'm okay with because. Um, a lot of the food that I grow is just for me. So I don't need to um, have it like picture perfect for the market. I'm okay with cutting half of it off and leaving it for the the, the bugs or whatever. Or I give the, the ugly part to my chickens and they, they love it just as much as anything else. So I don't really get too bent out of shape about it. Um, but I do have um, issues putting seeds, like direct seeds. I can't direct seed in my garden because bugs just eat the seeds. <laughs> you know, there's all kinds of beneficial bugs that like to eat 
little baby seedling tap roots and stuff. So I have to start seeds in pots and then transplant. Interesting. I guess that's a downside. I, depending how you look at it. Well, well, I would imagine they may be eating also your weed seeds though too, right? Yeah, absolutely. So, so I mean, if there's, you know, maybe perhaps there's less weed pressure. I don't, I don't know if you've noticed anything like that. I've, I've heard some people. Yeah, um, I don't have too bad a weed pressure from most weeds. It's just like one particular grass that grows here is so invasive and it gets in. It, it doesn't need to seed. It spreads like through rhizomes and stolons underneath the surface of the soil. So oh, it just it's comes like up. a sedge grass. Um. Or I, yeah, I don't know. We 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 have a. I don't over- know the the uh, taxonomical classification of it, but I have had people call it Johnson grass, crab grass, uh, all kinds of stuff. So I don't know what it is. It's just a it's a pain. Once it gets in, it's really hard to get out, and it comes. What have you have you noticed um, your your weeds change with the the introduction of more living soils? Definitely uh, a lot less. There's less weeds for sure. But have I noticed? Uh, there's no like. significant uh changes that i've noticed besides there being less i i mean in my in my experience i notice some change like if i'm if i'm first starting an area i get a certain set of of weeds that come in and then as i start to take care of the pile and or or of of the area and and add more organic matter through piles then i then the weed set shifts you know, it's like the the succession thing that I that I've actually, you know, I've yeah. Certain seen weeds it. like disturbed soils. Other weeds like settled soils. So that totally makes sense. So, in your you you're mentioning you live in a um in like a residential rural area. Yeah. Like, I mean, I guess it's not urban, but are are you are you like the lone farmer, or what's what's uh. No, um, I'm kind of surrounded by other um, farms, but not, they're more like uh, just open fields where there might be some cattle grazing. There's not, uh, or vineyards, there's a lot of vineyards in the area. My dogs are excited about something. <laughs> One moment. Just let me see if someone's at the door here. Oh, yeah, yeah. False alarm. Sorry about that. It's the new new alarm from Nest. Yeah. (laughs) Living, breathing. All you have to do is bring it to the vet. Uh, (laughs) So what what was the question? Well, so I was asking, I was asking like, you know, are you kind of alone doing, doing, like agriculture there? I mean, it sounds like you're surrounded by vineyards and, and no, we're surrounded by all kinds of different agriculture. Um, so there's all kinds of different scenes going on in this County and where we are like immediately right next to us is not any farms, but you know, within 10 miles, there's a whole, whole bunch and have you have you explored the possibility of of working with those vineyards to to um, you know convert them to KNF or like in yeah, biologicals? I've, I've definitely thought about it. Um, I haven't physically done it because I've just been busy doing my own thing and kind of. Uh, just trying to survive on growing cannabis. Um, I just haven't had much of an interest in approaching these bigger farms because I, you know, where I am today, I kind of arrived to from experiencing that bigger 
agricultural realm beforehand. The garden centers, the nurseries, um, small scale and large scale. I had uh, a couple internships at like really large scale greenhouse places. Well, that's it for our free episode. So join us at www.microbialsecret.org for the full episode and join the Microbial Secret Society. So uh, may the beneficial microbes be with you. Aloha.